And welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Kang. Today we're going to be talking about the practical of communication. This is building upon our principles of communication, understanding the safety aspect, understanding the principles aspect, understanding the truth aspect. This week we're going to go through how we can apply that and being consistent and effective with our communication. One of the classic lines we'll talk about is this idea of speaking with short sentences and strong adjectives. If I'm short and succinct and I'm effective, that's the holy point, right? And we evaluate the effectiveness of our communication by the output. We'll go through a lot of different topics between looking at, hey, this is where they're at from a readiness to change or a hook perspective. We can go through this other aspect of, you know, how do we leverage metaphors and analogies to get people to understand and appreciate what we're trying to say? It's a really important module for a lot of us coaches out there. We can all do better in this. If you really enjoy this podcast, I recommend going over to phpodcast.com and become a member of our curriculum. You get access to all of our modules, all the audio, all of the written, all the case studies that we do around each one of these modules, and over 50 of these and growing. So this is going to be a really good resource for you as a coach to become the best coach you could possibly be, phpodcast.com. Well, I appreciate you guys listening. And I hope you guys enjoy, and we'll see you guys on the other side. Well, we're back on communication. This week, we're going to be talking about the practical aspect. Last week, we talked about principles. We talked about, is it safe? Is it based off of principles? Is it based off of truth? And these are really important foundational pieces for what we're going to be talking about this week with the practical aspect. Communication is just storytelling. You know, one of the things that we're trying to look at from a negotiation standpoint or this this conditional aspect of communicating with someone is when I am a coach, essentially we're trying to coerce and motivate and trying to improve the likelihood of someone's success through through conscientious and objective-laden communication. All right, I write a program and that program is designed to elicit some sort of output. Now that output is conditioned is conditional based off of your ability to execute on that said program, right? So I understand that there's a certain technical aspect, there's a certain element that I need someone to be able to execute with from hitting their sets, reps, tempo, prescribed intensity and rest periods that makes that program effective or not. Now, how do I get someone to do that? How do I get someone to lift with good technique and executing on the variables associated with that program? It's a tough question. It's a really challenging thing because when I'm looking at training and I'm looking at my ability to program, my ability to create an intervention that's really, really locked in with objective truth and going through the whole process of our movement and our training and our our nutrition to elicit some sort of physiology or biomotor or biomechanical output that that I can start to break down my effectiveness as a coach, not on effectively only writing a really good program, but my ability to execute on that said program and my ability to motivate and incentivize and encourage and, and try to elicit a response And when we're talking about communication and we're talking about this idea of, am I effective coach? You know, really comes down to if I can get some sort of output 
consistently, yeah, we could attribute that to our ability to have a diagnostic and writing a really good program or intervention. But we could easily write, com, com, complement that with our ability to communicate and convey what we're trying to do in a compelling and interesting way that people want to do and do it consistently well. And a lot of times we can be really effective communicators and not very good at programming and, and coming up with a rationale behind why we do what we do and still be really effective. And I think this is the part that really is hard for a lot of people. And when we think about communication and we think about, you know, our ability to convey our thoughts and our, and our knowledge and input something across the board to someone across from us that we really want to help. It's going to be coming down to really bottom line our ability to effectively communicate or not. The rate limiting step of your programming is not your what you could do and what else you can learn to improve what you're doing. It's really you and your ability to convey that thought in a compelling and interesting and really incentivized way. That's hard. It's a really hard thing. It's something that apples to apples that I think a lot about in terms of whatever station I'm at in my life or my ability to grow or rise or move up is probably less predicated off of what I knew, but what people were interested in me saying or thought I could bring value from. And that's less about what I'm saying, more about how I'm saying it. That in itself is something that as we're starting to break down and process, you know, our quote unquote relative roles in people's lives, you know, the, I don't, I don't really care what you know, I care, you know, that you care about me kind of thing. You know, that, that's the part where I think, you know, probably the, the people listen to this, the, the ones that are reading constantly, going to courses constantly, going to areas that improve themselves, you know, those are the ones that you and I are probably always going to struggle with the fact that certain people are just better communicators and they are really good at motivating and incentivize people to do things and they move up faster. But you also look at it too of like this element of staying within this bubble. Like I can control what I read, I can control what I learn, I can control knowing more. Doesn't necessarily mean that I'm good at communicating that to people around me. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm good at motivating people around me. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm capable of getting people to do things that they don't inherently want to do, right? People don't inherently want to exercise. People don't inherently want to eat better. People don't inherently want to do things that are uncomfortable. That's our job is to do, is to get people to do things they're not inherently good at or comfortable doing or want to do. That is a real root of what a strength conditioning coach is is motivating and incentivizing through communication to do something people really don't want to do. And I'm not saying that people don't enjoy exercise and I'm not saying that people don't enjoy the process. I know the people that do this for a living do, but the, gra the vast majority of, of people and athletes out there don't. And there's elements they probably enjoy, and they probably enjoy the outcome. But truth be told is, it doesn't take much, much to realize that when they're paying you to do something for them, they probably don't want to do it. 
right? You know, I outsource certain things in my life that I don't want to do. People outsource their decisions on fitness off the pretense that they don't want to do it. Like, and I think about this all the time with our, a lot of clientele I work with. And a lot of them are really successful, really successful. That means they're probably pretty darn intelligent and it probably means they're pretty darn capable. I would imagine if they sat down and committed themselves to understanding strength and conditioning, physiology, biomechanics, they'd probably be pretty good, be pretty adept at knowing everything that I know, if not more. That if we're gonna compare their acumen and ability to learn a concept or something that made them a lot of money, enough so where they could afford your services, chances are they could probably learn everything that you know and then some faster and probably do better at it than you could. Me included, right? Just so happens that we had an interest and a fascination with something that either we directly needed or we were inherent we were inherently good at or enjoyed or circumstances of like I want something different for the future based off of my you know lack of success and when I was training. But the difference being is the person that is wildly successful probably would be better at communicating it than the person that is not successful. Right? And we go through a lot of different industries and a lot of pl- like places where you know people are making it or quote unquote, you know, preaching the the upper percentile performance, right? And you're like the, the the big hitters in our industry, right? Let's we can name them, but you know, probably the difference is not what they know, it's how they communicate it and why people listen to them. Communicating is honestly one of the most I think underrated aspects of what we're doing and it's so easy to you know chastise and criticize things that maybe aren't as knowledgeable overall or maybe not as knowledgeable in areas that you know we might be but the difference is they're way better at communicating what they do know and therefore people resonate with what they're saying more consistently but why not have that you know why not really try to understand how to become a better communicator so we can get the best of both worlds. We can be incredibly knowledgeable, we can be incredibly insightful, we can bring a lot of value from the pretense of what we're doing. And then we match that on the other end with be able to convey that in an interesting, compelling, and really honestly, like mutually beneficial way, right? That when you're communicating more effectively, people understand what you're asking and resonate with what you're asking more so compare that to the other end of they appreciate the fact that you're a better communicator and they want to listen to you and they care about what what you're saying like why wouldn't we want that why wouldn't we want that across the board with everything right like i want to be able to communicate better with my family i want to be able to communicate better with my employers i want to communicate better with with my clients why not and there's always a line of like all right well you know i gotta be I gotta hold. I gotta hold my ground here, and I gotta. I gotta really push for what's right, and I gotta really make sure that 
what we're doing is routing with objectivity, just like we talked about in principles. Is it safe? Is it true? Is it based off of principles? And then going into the next level of, well, if I can just make it more appreciated and I can make it more interesting and I can really look at this from the lens of, I want them to really get something from this. Well, we can look back, right back to our, our ability to communicate that. And then all of a sudden we have a really solid plan and we can get really good output, not only from my ability to think about what to do, but my ability to get other people to do what we're asking them to do really effectively and consistently, right? So practical aspects of this is going to go through how do we effectively communicate what we want to get across and what we need to kind of really focus on in terms of delivering that message. All right, there's a, a really interesting line, or I think a really poetic line that I got. Uh, God dang, I, I wish I could recall where I, I pulled this from, but it, it, it's speak with short sentences and strong adjectives. Speak with short sentences and strong adjectives. You know, that should be a plaque memorialized in every single strength conditioning coach's office. Because one of the things I find a lot of times with very, very smart, very, very hardworking people is they aren't succinct. They have elongated rambles. Now I'm putting my hand up on this one to explain their thoughts that they are talking simultaneously thinking about what they're saying. That they don't have a very clear thought of what they wanted to convey with people, to people, and it comes off very long-winded and very, very hard to follow. If we can be more succinct, if we can say stuff in a clear, more direct manner, right, like a very Confucius, very, very succinct, all-reaching, all-encompassing type of verbiage, then we should be able to at least conjure up some sort of compellingness and interesting, right? You think about the people that you're drawn to and you're attracted to and you really want to hear and listen to. They're probably the folks that really do a good job of, of not forcing their thoughts on other people, probably more conscientious about listening probably more conscientious about asking questions, probably more conscientious off of saying less with the intent people hear more. I'll say that again. Say less so people hear more. That is a really important thing to consider when we're trying to communicate to someone. That if we have to give the backstory and we have to give some sort of context and we have to do some sort of precursory information to justify what we're saying. It makes it appear that we don't really believe in what we're saying. We're already building in a, or we're already building in a defense for when they disagree or they don't understand. And we have indicators and witnesses of this all the time. And think about your experience talking to a client, right? Maybe there's a consultation and maybe you're going into a direction of, do you understand what I'm saying? And can you repeat that back to me? And they can't, they don't understand what you're saying and they can't repeat it back to you. Maybe there's like these non-verbal indicators that they don't understand what you're saying. 
Maybe there's a dynamic of I have this look of confusion or they just start moving on to something else or they're just agreeing but they don't really follow what you're doing. There's these dynamics that are always at play that indicate whether you're an effective communicator or not and you can evaluate that based off the output, based off their actions, based off of their ability to execute on what that thing you said. But we talked about this in our principles aspect that everything is kind of a negotiation. Communications has some sort of agenda, especially as a coach. As a coach, you have an agenda with everything that you're saying. Either you're conditioning them to behave a certain way or you're telling them to do a certain thing. All communication in coaching is agenda-based. It has to be, and it's not a bad thing. You're paid to have an agenda. You're paid to get them to do something that they don't want to do. Remember, like everyone in the world inherently doesn't want to do the things that you're asking them to do. That's your job is to effectively get them to do it. But you have these out, you have these output measures to see that, right? And I talk about this a lot with my staff of, you know you're an effective communicator if you don't have to repeat yourself during the workout. And what I mean by that is when you're up there describing the training session on that given day and you're going through and breaking it down, if you have a handful of folks that are not executing on what you asked them to do or they're asking constant questions during the workout, either you're not interesting enough to hold their attention or you're not effective enough at explaining what we're doing. A large time it's being long-winded. And a large time, it's having a bunch of filler words. A large time, it's your body language. A large amount of time, it's making eye contact or understanding your audience. A large time, it's your energy or your overall demeanor or posture. There's all these like social, there's all these little like idiosyncratic things about communication that go into play, but you have, you have a great output measure when you're communicating to someone out there, whether you're effective or not, every single time you talk, especially in our world. I could tell you if I'm an effective coach by people executing on a high level or not. And it goes into this dynamic of when you talk, do you actually have a plan? There's a, a concept called Erickson's model of, of of communication and it's from uh, it's a classic uh, it's a classic example of just having some sort of plan when you communicate before you actually communicate and when you're going through the process of saying all right I'm going to communicate this thing of a training program to my clients or athletes in front of me and they have no context of how challenging it should be, what's the goal, where should their focus or attention be, or what's the actual point of it, we're probably not gonna be that valuable or that good of a communicator. And I, and I think about that, right? And I think about a workout and I think, well, you know, look, I should have context of how hard this should be. Or I think about what's the point of this, what's the goal of this. I think about, you know, where their focus should be. You know, I think about what is this like, what does this process include? And and not trying to get super ethereal on it or trying to get through all these like, you know, different high level 
high level thought processes when you're going into everything you say needs to be really, really like heavily scrutinized and overly broken down. But there is an element of if you're ineffective as a communicator and as a coach, you're not going to get what you want regardless of how good your plan is. And I think that's a really good place to start. It's using that as a litmus and an indicator of <coughs> were you effective or not? And if you were, you can kind of break down overall how effective you are a communicator by their ability to do what you're asking them to do in a consistent manner. And I can go a higher level as like administrator for someone who's now working with coaches left and right. I'm like, okay, like my job as administrator with you is to give you the tools, right? Do you have the things that you need to do your job? I give you the knowledge. So do you have the, the foundational knowledge to do your job? And then the motivation, like, do you have that motivation or incentive to go out there and do your job, whether it's compensation or the, the pretense that you're going to have something better from this experience. And you look at it from the next level of like your ability to convey that as a medium to our clients and athletes. Well, then you could kind of go into the next level of, all right, well, how do we know if I was an effective communicator and you were an effective communicator? Well, you know, it just goes through that multi-level process of output and the output of, okay, if you're having to repeat yourself 10 times over during the workout or everyone's kind of doing a mixed match group of things or they don't really care what you say. You are not an effective communicator. Fact, right? That's like the truth. And then we start to think about the next level of as I start to break down my ability to communicate to you, it might have a different different input, but the output still needs to be the same. Still need to be able to deliver as a coach. You still need to be delivering as a high level effective communicator. And the things that really transcend and the things that really, really come down to effective communication, you know, when you start to break down all the different models that you can think about from a communication standpoint, from like motivational interviewing to a lot of the work a good friend of mine, Brett Bartholomew, is doing. Everyone is trying to like go through this process of how to become more effective communicators. Bottom line, bar none, if you are effective, you can see it. If you are not effective, you're going to struggle. And you're going to have this constant battle with people don't really care with what you say or people don't really want to listen to you or people aren't following what you're asking them to do. People don't comply. People don't don't want to do what you think is important. And you could judge your ability to communicate that by the consistency and frequency of that. There's always going to be statistical variance. There's always going to be outliers. You get at people that overly hang on every single word you say. Don't get too wrapped up with them. Yeah, people that are just natural contrarians and they don't want to listen to anything that you say. And then somewhere in the middle kind of falls into this regression in the mean. And if majority of the people listen to you, execute on what you're asking them to do, and getting consistently good results, you're an effective communicator. Style aside, all that other stuff, that's the part that I think a lot of people really try to like conform and change. You know, we talked about a lot with this like filtration process in a previous coaching module, but we also talked about it last week with our practical, I mean our principles. And this idea of you know, people are clickbait, soundbite, 
focus right now with social media. And the truth is, is we can tell that that's not a very effective form of communication because it's very short-lived. It's a very temporary response. Same thing if I was going to go to a motivational speaker or read a book on, you know, 10 habits I can do today. It's creating this narrative of, I could change, I get it, I see the value, it's agreed upon, or at least it's like very like interesting and compelling or controversial. But the bottom line is that doesn't create long-term systemic change because it's not based off a foundation of truth. Is it true? If I whittle it down to a really, really like stripped to its part of a baseline bare bones thing, it's not absolutely true, then it won't hold weight. That's why we talked so much last week about you need to have this foundation of truth. If it is not true, it won't last. And then you build out, okay, now I have to get some charisma about it. I got to get some sort of some sort of ability to influence and tactics associated with getting people bought in on a level that you know is going to be constructive to their personal outcome, right? It's not a bad thing to have a really good plan and deliver it in a compelling and interesting way. It's not a bad thing to give yourself feedback and debrief on your ability to communicate a program or the intervention and judging it off compliance or lack thereof. To me, that's just smart. To me, that's a social experiment that you can see your ability to communicate. Now, if you, if anyone has out there as a partner, you eventually had to cross the threshold of asking them out or asking them if they would be interested in spending time with them. And I don't know, maybe you got lucky and maybe they did the reverse. But why'd you, why were you attracted to them? Why'd you, Why'd you marry them? Why did you do any of these things? Why did they do that with you? What, what is it? What was it that was so effective that forged that relationship that you were in some sort of dynamic where you were together? And we make this conscious choice all the time. You know, I buy a certain brand of something, or I buy, or I'm, I'm married to someone, or you know, I'm, I'm doing it with my children. Of like, hey, I need you to do this in exchange for this. And they don't do it. Okay, well, my my strategy of communication was not effective. You know, and I think about that with coaching all the time. I am effective as a communicator based off of the consistency of, of the actions of my clients. And I might hold their attention for an hour, one to three times a week, but the other 47 hours in between sessions they're extremely opposite. They don't comply with anything. They do an awful job of adhering to lifestyle habits and nutrition. Well, that's a problem. My ability as a communicator to convey to that person that that matters a great deal to the bottom line is deemed now ineffective. And you have to associate your ability to communicate with that just as much as you do as if they're agreeing and head nodding and like making eye contact that you get these confirmations that they're hearing you, but you don't really know if they're listening to you until they actually get to the output. So that's gonna be the emphasis here. And a lot of times we can talk about different things, right? We have 
you know, if you ever read Nick Winkleman's movement, he talks a lot about cueing and this idea of this focal point of the cue and this element of can I convey how I want this person to do this on their level? Like I'm meeting them where they're at, right? There are going to be some social elements that really, really play out in regards to getting someone to change their behavior or patterning or whatever it is they do redundancy class, right? Right? And we can go into a couple things and say, all right, my objective is to get them to do something that they don't inherently want to do. I've created this invent intervention. I've thought about what I'm going to say, and then I'm going to really make it sticky by using a couple strategies, right? Maybe I use a, a story and that story is routed with, Hey, uh, a metaphor or a symbol or analogy or comparison. And if I look at that person and say, Hey, I want you to really resonate with this. And I look at it from a metaphorical standpoint or symbolic standpoint saying something we can all agree upon, right? So if I'm an army West point, I'm the head strength coach and I'm talking about, I'm talking about this idea of beating Navy for the first time in 15 years. And after the game that we're crying from a most positive and happiness as opposed to another year lost and going to our seniors saying, we let you down our firsties as we call them at West Point. That that's a metaphor. That's a symbol of, of what we want to accomplish. So if they really want to get to that output on December 13th, beating Navy for the first time in 15 years. And afterwards we're crying from joy as opposed to crying from dejection and, and, and just being feel let down. Then I can go into this dynamic of, all right, let me, uh, let me set this up here from a metaphorical standpoint and going through the, why we need to sprint really hard today or do it with really good technique or take care of yourself in between. I mean, that's an influencing tactic that quite frankly is really powerful. And I can tell you firsthand it really worked. If I was going to use that same comparison for another school like USC or Georgia Tech, they would probably look at me like, what are you talking about? Maybe it's a, it's a different incentive. When we asked all of our, we ask all the players who wants to go to the NFL. And we can talk about the difference between between making good decisions on a consistent basis. And one of the greatest ones, and I got this actually, I, I, I wish I could take credit for this, but I was working with nutrition at Georgia Tech and I was responsible for all of our weight gain and weight loss athletes. And we had a really, really unbelievable person. His name is Mike Johnson. Actually, I'm proud to say he's in a health and fitness space here now. Probably doesn't need to do it, but he definitely is really, really good at people. And he's really, really talented in terms of an athlete. But he was really disciplined, man. And he was locked in. He made some incredible choices from a nutrition standpoint. And he had incredible results. We were working with another athlete named Demarius Thomas, who, to be honest, he was one one bad meal away from being a tight end. Like he was just a he was just a really fast, it really, really reacted highly to insulin. You know, I've had a handful of these guys over my life that just probably super type two, extremely insulin sensitive, 
and they could fluctuate in their weight rapidly. And I, I wasn't there, but I was constantly working with Demarius about like, hey man, we gotta eat less, we gotta we gotta be more conscious about what we eat. And it was never really a big thing for him because he was always the most talented, always the most capable guy. He's just a likable person, man. He can really make you feel like it's gonna be okay. And when you're working with someone in that regard, you know, being honest <coughs> and telling him the truth of, hey, you can't eat this stuff, you can't get away with it. That you're gonna move down to tight end when he knows that's not gonna be that's not gonna be the case. He's the best player on the team. He knows he's gonna be a first round draft pick. Doesn't really matter if he makes a bad decision today. Because he knows it's gonna work out just fine. Because it always has. And I wasn't there for this, but Mike talked to me about it after the fact. And he's like, Yeah, I saw Demarius grabbing a piece of cake with uh with lunch today. And I said, Hey, is that piece of cake worth a million dollars? And Demarius looked at him like, I really don't know what the hell you're talking about. He's like, no, it's probably worth under a dollar. And he's like, no, I'm asking you, is that piece of cake worth a million dollars to you? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, if I told you that if you don't eat that piece of cake, I'll give you a million dollars, would you not eat that piece of cake? And he's like, no doubt, absolutely. He's like, well, that's the difference between you making a first round draft pick money and not. That your ability to have self-control and avoid things that are gluttonous and honestly just desirable in the moment, but not necessary, that is going to be worth a million dollars. That you're going to be a third round draft pick because you can't control what you eat. You can't say no to a piece of cake on a Tuesday at lunch with a meal that's probably already a thousand calories plus. And you know, Demarius did a grab a piece of cake, ended up losing a bunch of weight, and everybody's, everybody's happy, right? Demarius went on to become a first round draft pick, Hall of Famer, Rest in peace. But imagine if Mike didn't say that. Imagine if Demarius never really had that value. And there's an authority aspect of it too. You know, where it's like, who am I to tell him what to do or not do? And it's easy for me to say, just don't eat this or don't eat that. It's harder for me to get him to do that on a consistent basis when I'm not there. And obviously that was the case, right? He was complying with me probably in front of me. He was probably telling me what I needed to hear because he was intelligent and he was smart enough to realize that. But he needed that, that place of authority and that metaphor or that symbol of what that piece of cake was worth to make that change. And I, I'm going to keep saying the output measure justified that means of communication. That was a really effective use of metaphor symbolism. My objective eat less avoid high insulin inducing foods was not i didn't find the right metaphor or analogy for him mike did you know and i tried to use that same aspect at army west point about how many guys want to want to go to the nfl no one raised their hand they didn't care we're at usc or georgia tech that would really make a big difference and that would get people to do things that they know they should do that we all agree upon based off the what the what we want the outcome to be. An analogy is a comparison. We can think about this from comparing people to people. We can think about it from comparing situations situations. This is that you know Bayesian probability thinking. Thinking about previous success will dictate something in terms of influence on what should the future hold, right? And this idea that I can compare, you know, hey, last team last year's team worked really hard. We should work equally as hard, see the results of hard work. And I, I can talk about that again from another experience in Army West Point, where I showed our last season's off seasons, 
video, off-season strength and conditioning video. Guys were fired up. And I was like, you know what's funny about that? We worked really hard. Everyone lifted with great technique. We all hit these incredible numbers. And we still went 2-10 and 10 and lost to Navy again. Hard work is not the problem. You know what is the problem? Is not looking at what we need to do. And kind of went through a pre-mortem. And we talked about we need to get faster. We need to get bigger. We need to be more consistent on starting the week fast. Right? Because Mondays were always a big laggard. And we always had you know, just a, an issue with getting started. And we felt like we were always behind because we took so long to get started. It was kind of a big, slow-moving army thing. And we are definitely just... A little bit of a build, like we need a momentum. We didn't have, we couldn't break inertia every single week. I feel like we're almost starting from scratch, and then by the time Tuesday or Wednesday came, we finally got the ball rolling. By that point, it's probably already too late. So we started to look at, like, from a pre-mortem standpoint, based off of this, if it was hard work, we'd be undefeated every year, and we'd never lose the Navy. But that's not the issue. We compared ourselves to previous years where we worked really hard. And we didn't get an outcome that we wanted. And we need to be more strategic or have at least a little bit more honest candor about what we need to do. And again, what was the objective? What was the goal? I had an agenda. I had this this constant battle with, no matter what, I will get fired if we don't beat Navy here eventually. And if we don't have this conversation about We need to do something relative to that. So I can use a metaphor of like, hey, maybe we don't want to cry at the end of our last game of the year because we lost to Navy again. Maybe we want to cry tears of joy because we finally beat Navy. I can use a symbol or I can use an analogy or comparison and say, hey, hard work in previous years didn't work out the way we want to. We need to kind of re-strategize. We still need to work hard, still need to push, but Maybe we need to push in more direct direction, right? Just this confusing activity with accomplishment is not working out for us. We need to be very focused on what we need to do. We need to work very hard in why we need to do it. And what that does for me, and just for context on why I had that conversation, is because we talked about speed, guys would be really conditioned to, unless I'm actually throwing up or, or dead ass tired at the end of every single session, that it was no longer effective. So we'd have situations where guys would do a traditional speed day, maybe we're working some top end speed, trying to get four max velo type of sprints in a, in a 30 minute segment, which is about a one to six to one to eight work to rest ratio. So you get like a, a flying 40, walk back three to four minutes of recovery, maybe get another one. And guys felt like that wasn't hard enough. So they might do a Metcon or they might do some 300 yard shuttles and just kind of kill that CNS a little bit more. And it's like, you guys are confusing just being tired and working hard with getting good results. It doesn't work that way. Outcomes are outcomes. The objective is the objective. So for me to tell you that you are slow because you're working too hard is abstract. It doesn't make sense. Unless I give that outcome of working hard doesn't necessarily matter unless it has some sort of context that was the that was the analogy I, I had to use there. Right, and I've had other situations with a little bit different conversations about like weight loss with certain athletes of of hey here here's here's the deal. You know, like you're not playing, and that guy's playing, 
because he's had a body, body composition that allows him to move for 70 snaps. You can start to look at it apples to apples. You can't put your hand down in the dirt and get into a three-point stance because you're over, over, too overweight. You're ineffective as a player for more than two snaps in a row because you're overweight. Your quality of technique goes down tremendously because you're just carrying around so much excess baggage. And I compare that to maybe other players. Maybe I compare that to a player that is at the right body weight carrying around like a 30-pound vest. And that could be considered a metaphor as well. But the same token, it's the same idea of what's the point of communicating? What am I trying to get? I have an agenda. I need to be able to convey this, this plan to someone in a compelling and interesting way. And I'm going to leverage certain metaphors or symbols and certain analogies or comparisons to get that. And then I look at it from the context of was it an effective message or not? If I was effective as a communicator, the output is there. I see really good results. I don't need to be this super loud, bombastic, charismatic person. I don't need to be this complete you that's a complete scientist and never really looks at it devoid of emotion or just robotic. I can be what the situation needs me to be. But if I'm working with junior high kids, I have to be a little bit more direct and militaristic. And I can go to them and say, from a metaphorical standpoint, what matters to them and what's relevant for them. From an from a analogy standpoint, what matters to them and what's going to make a big difference for them. Versus that seven-year NFL vet that just, hey, like I got a couple more years, like I want to get one more contract. I'm good. And I could talk to them like an adult and a person and say, here's why we need to do this. And here's the metaphor and analogies we're going to use to them. And I judge that quality of metaphor and analogy or that story based off the output. Did I or did I not? I could tell you about a professional athlete that helped ask me to help run bases better. And I created a great program. I challenged that to anybody else. He fucking hated it. He refused to do it. I never really got across to him why it was important. Or I never really found what really mattered to him. So, basically had a big blow up and a couple years later, we ended up talking about it and honestly, he was like, nah, I get why you said what you said. Just, I didn't need that. I don't need you to be that. I didn't need you to be that for me. You don't need to be this very militaristic, direct, you know, like, if you're not gonna do this, then I don't need you, person. I need you to someone to be a little bit more compassionate and empathetic and patient and you just didn't do that i was an ineffective communicator i needed to do a better job of communicating to that person not because of the opportunity but because that's what i was asked to do and if i couldn't i am no longer deemed effective that is communication and i could go on a bunch of different levels off of like the the subtle nuances or all the other things. But fact is, were you effective or not? Bottom line is really what determines whether you're a good communicator or not. And I could do other variables, right? I can create, I could put music on and make the, the environment more enjoyable. I can do different lighting and different things and different, different elements that make something more interesting and compelling. But what I can't do is make someone who's an ineffective communicator effective. 
we can't overcome that. That my program that I write that is based off of people implementing that program and people adhering to that program is rate limited by our ability to communicate. It's the best program in the world conveyed and communicated improperly is makes it a obsolete program. A really crappy program that's conveyed and implemented really well and adhered to is a now a more effective program than a really good program. And that's kind of hard part about all this. And that's why we should be focused on communicating effectively, but we should have some sort of inventory off of what is good communication. Did we or did we not get what we wanted? And you know these indicators. You know it at all the time. You're out there in a session. They're asking how many reps, or they're doing a bunch of different iterations of what you're asking them to do. They don't really know what they're doing, or they're not following what you're doing. I just decided to do this instead. We didn't convey what we were doing and why we were doing it effectively enough. Your communication strategy wasn't effective in that situation. And we'll go back up to Erickson's model, just review that, that graphic we have within the module and the curriculum, because that's a, such a powerful piece here. And then you go through the, the symbols or the metaphors. You can go through the comparisons or the analogies and say, ah, that analogy really didn't work for that person, or that symbol didn't really matter to that person. It's relevant to me, but not to them. All right, I got to fix it. I got to be better the next time. You chip away at it, you work at it, you push in the direction to help your athletes and clients get what they should be getting from your training plan. That is communication. That is being an effective communicator, not because you just want to talk, but because you know it's important. All right, I'm going to pause here. It's a long one. This is a really, really important one for me. And this is something I work a lot with all my clients and athletes. I really want to be an effective communicator because I know that is the biggest rate limiting step off of my amazing training plan that I put a lot of time effort into, into curating and creating. So take some time on this one, go back, listen to it, get on the module, do all the things that you know you need to do because that makes this really important.